Hey there, this is Adam. So this episode was recorded on May 30th, 2020, which is only relevant insofar as there are references to quarantine and lockdown, and those circumstances have since changed. So please enjoy, or, or learn, or uh, judge, or delete, whatever you want to do with this episode. You are free will, though some physicists might disagree with that. Okay, well, here we go. I'm Adam Strauss. And I'm Jordan Iper, MD. And this is not therapy. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much therapy. It's not therapy, man. We haven't talked about your penis OCD. <laughs> 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 it's an odd starting point and we were chatting and i just pressed record but no I've, I've i've just spent three minutes adjusting my boxers so that my uh my uh manhood sits uh comfortably <laughs> as perfectly. i optimal perfectly right exactly and this is i mean this is the ocd and i hesitate to use that term sometimes because i don't want to necessarily pathologize it but this sort of getting things right is is so deeply ingrained and it absolutely does come down to like my physical posture not always but um but but often yeah it's 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 just so inherent in the way i engage with reality and my own experience yeah. kind of adjusting optimizing and it can be exhausting i mean the the adjusting my boxers that could be we haven't talked about this maybe we did how a friend of mine who works with autistic people thought I was on the spectrum. Yeah. And I know that that is something that is sometimes associated with autism is, is, um, yeah, having to get. Yeah. Sort of sensory, sensory processing sensitivity. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. And I don't know much about autism to be frank, but when we talked about that, we, we talked about this other possibility or maybe even it's, maybe even it's related and could be part of the same package if you are if we are going to no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah you're you're very sensitive and it extends from maybe physically sensitive and to um to interpersonally sensitive and i think that'll probably come up today is your your exquisite sensitivity to what's going on with other people in relation to you and whether that could be something related to being on the autism spectrum or whether it could be a different process altogether maybe that'll be something we continue to unpack yeah yeah well so you mentioned so so let's give a little bit of context for why we're recording right now other than the the voracious appetite of the podcasting public for for yet more not therapy but um well so the last the last episode we recorded was talking about your car which just to close that loop uh, i am now the proud borrower of a 2000 i don't want to say this because i don't want people to get too jealous of me uh especially in these trying economic times of a 2004 is it 2007 2007. Oh wow! Wow, yeah. they're really gonna. It's the modern. haters are gonna come out in force. Of a 2007 <laughs> Toyota Yaris. So thank you, Jordan, for um, yeah, gifting me his car. It was it was um, it's a great negotiating tactic. I just had to record one podcasting episode, and I got a free car. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna donate it to charity, and you convinced me. Uh, 
that I'm charity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what more worthy charity? <laughs> what more worthy charity than a privileged middle-aged white guy? Than <laughs> <laughs> a privileged middle-aged white guy who doesn't want to rent a car. No, but I really, um, I don't want to diminish the uh, importance of that conversation we had yeah. around it because that was really meaningful for me to be able to show up with some of my own insecurities and the way I was feeling sort of overwhelmed and like maybe it was it was too much and it was going to be too complicated to have this other dynamic between us other than the, the multiple complex dynamics we already have and in coming together and being able to be heard around that and yeah be able to bring out some of my own insecurities that are sort of long-standing things that I'm uh, in many ways not proud of some of my tendencies um, to yeah to sort of close down put up thick walls not be giving I um yeah it just it felt so good to be seen and accepted in that and unsurprisingly the outcome was that I woke up the next morning feeling like big fucking deal just let him borrow your car you'll donate it and three months or wherever, whenever he doesn't need it anymore. It's just, it's not, it, it just wasn't a big deal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it, for me, that conversation was very helpful. Just getting some more perspective and maybe this relates to what we'll talk about today with Clara on how my sometimes unthinking actions can affect other people, particularly when those actions are driven by a real sense of, of anguish or desperation or urgency, specifically talking about these these emails I would sometimes send you when I was upset about our podcast editing process and how time consuming it was, and yeah, we can maybe we should pivot to the uh, to the matter at hand. Unless if you have more to say about that now, no, yeah, I think because I, I think, think it does all, kind of all connect. <laughs> it all connects, and uh, yeah, as you were saying with the. OCD stuff and the, you know, the kind of difficulties getting your boxers comfortable before the show and how that that can be a, a source of obsessive thinking for you. It, it It's like it all connects. It all connects to deeper stuff. And, ver- you know, it'll be like a, some this is my view and not everyone's view. My view is that there's some deeper core dynamic of instability precarity something's not right and it'll sort of flower in different ways one day it'll be obsession about clara one day it'll be oh, i just I can't my outfit's not right i can't get comfortable um mm-hmm. but what are the uh, that's what we're always trying to trace is what are the deeper connections what's the source of this yeah and and it's I, I like this orientation towards therapy because it does kind of and maybe this is dangerous, but it does sort of hold out the promise of some sort of ultimate fix. Uh, you know, you, the traditional Freudian idea of I think it's Freud of of um, um, not catharsis. What's the word I'm looking for? Where you uh, where you finally see the oh. you finally see the terrible thing and is it catharsis? The psychoanalytic term of. This concept of you finally you finally confront the 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 deep horror that you've built all these all the psychic armoring to avoid, mm-hmm. and now that you've confronted it, you you have a degree of freedom. Yeah, yeah, that is a very classic. I think that's a, that's a really good description of 
a way of viewing that classical Freudian model. And I think the way, the key way that that has been updated in more modern theory is that in order to have this mechanism where something you don't want to see is like buried and repressed and you have all this armoring over it, that requires that the basic foundations, you know, in order to put something in the basement and lock the door, you have to have a basement. Mm-hmm. And th- more modern theories have expanded to incorporate people and patients who have much deeper levels of early life trauma and disturbance where there's not even a basement. There's not a basement to put something in. It's like bad things happened so early on that the foundations aren't there to have this sort of Freud, this dynamic that you were talking about with Freud of like Mm -hmm. repression that would be called basically. Um, so anyway, that's just to, that's just to complicate that a little bit. But what, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that a modern interpretation is that early trauma can be so destabilizing that you can't even, I just want to get our metaphors clear here, that you can't even really build a, a functioning house. Yeah, that you can't. And what is the house? Is the house the personality? Cause the clearly, psyche, yeah. The, the psyche. Not just the per, not but what does that actually mean? Because every, I mean, with the exception of maybe maybe people with real severe delusional conditions, um, it feels to me like pretty much everyone has some sort of psyche, some sort of personality, some sort of, you know, a, 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 some sort of accretion of patterns and, and behaviors and tendencies. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if I totally, if I'm totally following the metaphor. Like I get yeah. the idea of, yeah. Certainly everyone has a mind and everyone has a psyche. But I don't know. Maybe it'll come up later. Uh, I'll be able to draw a parallel to it. It's it's not something I feel. It's really hard to wrap your head around, and it's not something I'm super solid in yet. But I think just everyone has a psyche, but some people's. You know, the the classic Freudian model is sort of like say you've got a basement, you've got a house, and you've got an attic. The id, the ego, and the superego. Ah, uh, I like didn't know what I was talking Okay, that's an unconscious, I see what you're saying. a conscious, and then like a, yeah, a superego, which is sort of um, the morality, the, the internalized values of a culture. And so I think that model is complicated by later, by later additions, which you know, yeah, basically, as I was saying, like some people are too traumatized early on to ever really build that house mm-hmm. to have some of these nor- normal patterns and dynamics of like suppressing something you don't want to look at and then having the big reveal when in therapy you realize like, aha, it was that I didn't want to look at the fact that I secretly wanted to kill my father. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people where the the disturbance goes a lot deeper than that. And so the work is is more way about, deeper than secretly wanting to kill your dad. It's pretty run, <laughs> run of the mill stuff. So yeah. I suppose Freud would say that is a generalized oh yeah conflict, infantile conflict, right? Oh, the yeah. whole Oedipal and all of yeah. That's like yeah, that's like we all want to kill our child. dads. It's like, if someone comes in and they're if like, oh my god, your, if you don't want to kill your father, there's something wrong with you. 
<laughs> yeah, if someone comes in and they're like, I had a dream where I killed my dad last night, you're like, eh, big deal. Someone comes yeah. in and they're like, I don't dream. Then you're like, well, that's that's more concerning. I, I actually rarely dream. But let's, well, let's yeah the let's, whole po- the whole point of my uh, <laughs> of my opening salvo in this episode is to explain to you Adam, that you're far more fucked up than uh, <laughs> than Freud could have ever handled. <laughs> Freud could not. We, it takes the it takes the psychoanalytic firepower of one Dr. Jordan Iper to <laughs> have any chance yeah. of redeeming re- this fallen. <laughs> just to remind our listeners, I am not a psychoanalyst <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I'm about five. I'd, I'd, be about four more years of intensive training before i could call myself a psychoanalyst it just and just to to parse these distinctions a little bit so there's there's psychiatry which you are you have an md from hollywood upstairs medical college uh, <laughs> you then there's uh but psychoanalysis is a specific school of of psychological training and yeah. and theory that originated yeah. with freud and now it's been somewhat ad- ad- adapted but the at its Traditionally, it would require being a patient in psychoanalysis like four times a week for for years and years and years. This incredibly yeah. intensive. It's incredibly intensive. And so you are undergoing that training, but you would say your primary orientation is not that sort of one thing you draw upon. I am undergoing. Uh, I underwent like a two year sort of abbreviated course in psychoanalysis called psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Cause it's not the, f- the full thing. So it's basically, yeah. Um, a training, you know, a fairly intensive training, but nothing like full psychoanalytic training, a training yeah. in how to incorporate the theories of psychoanalysis into, into more conventional, like once or twice a week psychotherapy treatments. So that, and then, yeah, my own long-term therapy, which is much more eclectic and, draws on a lot of um yeah other theoretical traditions and then you know i've drank a lot of ayahuasca (laughs) so (laughs) so listen so i should be listened to no i I, yeah i'm I'm an eclectic guy and i I collect i i i have tried to collect under my umbrella many different influences and and continue so i'm obviously still young in my career and i'm a work in progress but i figured i was ready to um to start uh, offering my services in, uh, on podcasts. <laughs> Hang up a shingle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and start offering podcast treatments. <laughs> and so, but yeah, I think this will all connect. And so the reason we're recording now is, so the last last time we talked about Clara was probably about three weeks ago. Yeah. And what had happened was, so super consolidated recap I met this woman in January. She was visiting New York, very strong connection. She came back to visit me. Um, Then I was supposed to be in San Francisco to be doing shows. She lives in San Francisco. We were excited to live together, not live together, but to be in the same city under ordinary circumstances rather than this, you know, long distance flying across the country, super intensive, um, you know, 24 seven for four or five days at a time. Then the coronavirus pandemic hit. I decided to come out anyway to quarantine with her. A bunch of stuff went down. She left after five days, and then she came back a month later, and we had a really, uh, a really great time. For three weeks, we were living together, and it was pretty smooth, pretty easy, and felt like things were really flourishing. But I started to feel 
I started to feel um, like I wanted some more space, understandably. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd been living together not under ordinary circumstances, but under quarantine circumstances. So not seeing anyone else. She was very understanding. And so then for the three weeks subsequent to that, the basically the last three weeks, what we've done is we'd have some time together and then some time apart where she would go to her apartment in San Francisco. So the last episode, sorry, getting back to that, the last episode we recorded about her was she was coming back after being away for like four or five days. And I was hit with this very strong feeling of, I don't want her to come back. Mm-hmm. And the emotional current was one of fear and overwhelm. And it was hard for me to understand quite where that was coming from. And so since then, yeah, we've had a few more weeks of she'll spend some time with me, then she'll spend some time at her place in San Francisco. And I've been, it's more been on my part saying, hey, let's, you know, why don't don't we have a few days apart? And then, um, well, yeah, so a bunch of things <laughs> happened all at once. One thing is things are now opening up. It's, uh, what is it? It's May 30th right now. And SF, the, the Bay Area where we are, there's th- things are opening up. There's going to be uh, parks are opening. Restaurants are going to start having outdoor dining soon, that sort of thing. And more specifically for us, so this is an open relationship. She's polyamorous. I... And I've generally considered that a a feature rather than a bug of the relationship because that's something that makes a lot of sense to me and something I want to explore myself. And she has a longstanding lover. She's been with for about a year and a half, but they've not seen each other because it's been a quarantine. And now she is starting to see him. And I've been okay with that. It hasn't particularly bothered me things really came to a head, what, I guess two days ago where, well, so what happened was this, I've been living rent-free in my cousin's beautiful house in the hills of Oakland. I knew he was going to be coming back at some point, And I got word uh, two days ago that he's coming back in, in a few days. Yeah. And even though I knew it was coming, that provoked a very strong spike in anxiety. The thing that has caused the biggest OCD crises in recent years in my OCD, for those who have not listened religiously to our past episodes, it's about decision-making. I get trapped in making and reversing decisions, and it's much, much better now, but it, um, I wouldn't say I'm cured, clearly. So the biggest OCD trigger, really, in, in my whole OCD career has been real estate, has been finding places to live. And the bigger the commitment, the bigger the OCD typically. If I'm actually moving to a new apartment, that that the last time I did that was seven years ago, and that really spiraled out of control with signing and breaking leases. If it's finding an Airbnb or a sublet for a month when I'm performing in a new city, that's a lot more manageable. But it's always anxiety-provoking, and there's always some element of getting a little bit trapped in decision-making with that. So got word that I'm going to have to find a new place soon. That that made me feel anxious. And then I happened to hear her talking on the phone to her other lover, Rob, just a logistical conversation. Oh, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow at 1, and I felt this real We did use strong. Dave. We used Dave at one point, I realized. Okay. Okay. So let, yesterday. Let's, Let's let's just re-record that we last can, part. We can so, we can pivot to Rob. But no one will notice. If you yeah, know. yeah. So let, 
Uh, no, let's go with Dave. Okay. Um, so, yeah, let's pivot to Rob. Rob feels better. Yeah, no one will notice. Rob feels better. Um, so then I happened upon her talking to her lover, Rob, on the phone. Just a logistical conversation. I'll be there at 1 o'clock tomorrow. But it provoked this really strong fear-anger response. Yeah. And then it was just off to the races. This was, it's Saturday night. Now this was Thursday. We're just getting really, just spiraling and feeling basically, and this is a pattern that has come up before. It came up the first time we quarantined together. And I'm seeing now, uh, you know, often I notice that when, when something gets really extreme or intense for me emotionally, as I see that, I realize that that same phenomena has actually been operating all along at a lower level. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. When I go through a bad OCD crisis, my perception is most of the time I have little or really no OCD. But when I go through a bad OCD crisis, which happens rarely now, when I come out the other side, often I see, oh, actually, I do have more daily OCD than I realize. It just operates at a low level. But seeing it in this heightened and concentrated form makes me more alert to it in its more mundane forms. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing this with this, let's call it insecurity with Clara, where it's like, oh, yeah, the last you know month and a half has generally felt pretty pleasant. But now that I'm seeing this super intense insecurity, I realize that actually that's operating a fair amount of the time. And... To be more specific, what I'm seeing is this desire to, desire is not quite the right word, a part of me wants to find reasons to feel hurt by her, wounded by her, and to feel like I can't trust her. Not trust her, not not trust her in terms of like she's going to lie to me. I have, I have 100% trust that she's totally honest and transparent, but not trust her with my heart, with my feelings, not trust her not to hurt me or be to be more specific, to be insensitive. There's this mm-hmm. feeling of like, oh, she doesn't care enough or she's doing things. I'm, I'm monitoring very closely for any sign that she doesn't care for me enough, isn't sensitive enough. And so that's that really got, an yeah, interesting just one. To, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so that, so that got kicked into, you know, 10th gear mm-hmm. two days ago. Where it's like every little thing, her looking away for a moment, and I just feel like daggers in my heart, like, ah. But I am seeing that, yeah, that has been operating. And the general overall sense that I have, Jordan, and I think this is part of why I freaked out a little bit when she was coming back a few weeks ago after being gone for a bit, is this feeling of not feeling safe around this woman. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is... She's, she's a very strong person, a very strong-willed person. I mean that in a positive way, a very uncompromising person. And again, I mean that in the positive sense, but she, she knows what she wants. She's very clear on what she wants, and she's going to do what she wants. And overall, this is something I think, I, I really appreciate this about her. But it also makes it a little uh, hurt. She can be a little intimidating at times. And... We've also been talking, her and I, about love languages, and I think there could be something there where maybe she doesn't give me as much verbal affirmation as I would like. So there's maybe some things that are specific to her that contribute to this feeling. But the bigger thing, and you and I 
went on. It was wonderful. It was the first time I've seen another person other than a grocery clerk or Clara. We went on a socially distanced hike yesterday, though we weren't that distanced. Um, <laughs> but but uh, and you brought up this idea. It's hard to get six feet away from your lips. <laughs> My gigantic <laughs> lips. Well, especially your earlobes are, are dragging on the trail floor. <laughs> <It's> like, <So. laughs> the paths aren't wide enough. <laughs> My gargantuan lips. Uh, so, but you brought up this thing of, yeah, which is something I'm very open to that, sure, there may be certain things about the way her and I interact specifically that may contribute to this, but clearly there's something much deeper going on that has nothing to do with her. Yeah. And I'm feeling it clearly that's true because the level of anguish and distress, like I was, I mean, I haven't gotten into all the details, but suffice to say the last two days I was feeling such extreme distress feeling at times like, well, this relationship is over. I just, I can't do this. I can't do this. And at the, and then at other times feeling like there's no problem here. Why, why are you freaking out? But there's this feeling of real panic that takes over that is clearly reaching up from, from a past that, that far predates Clara. Yeah. Yeah. That was what really jumped out at me when I heard you talking about, could this be the end? It's like from an outsider's perspective and especially an outsider's perspective has been playing paying close attention to this whole thing and paying clinical attention to it it's like wait i thought this was also the love the the most significant love to come into your life in over a decade yeah and a few weeks ago things were going great and now it might be over in a number of days that whip sawing to me is a clear indicator that something very deep and I hesitate to use the word primitive because it's, you know, it, it's a word that has such connotations. It's sort, it, it can also be used sort of technically um, in psychoanalysis, but primitive to mean not like unsophisticated, but primitive like early inside of you, mm-hmm. childlike. Something very primitive is being evoked, leading to these huge overflowing emotions that are really intense and scary and hard to contain. And as we were talking about on the walk yesterday, the, the response to that on your part is to try to reach for certainty and cert. So certainty might look like in a moment such as this, Nope, you know, it's over. It's not going to work. And really what I want to reorient us to is, not fixating so much on the the back and forth with Clara, the decision, is it over, is it not over, is she right for me, is she not right for me? Because ultimately, I come back to this is a very early relationship in very abnormal circumstances. So, you know, there are obviously communication things and maybe you need more space, you need less space or whatever. There are things that can be done to improve the relationship's chances for success. But ultimately, we're not in a position right now of needing to make a decision around it. What I'm much more interested in is studying what's coming up and using it as grist for the mill to to continue the work of yeah your own your own growth, your own deepening understanding of yourself, opening your own heart. Yeah, and so there are decisions to make though, in the sense of I got to move out of here in, in a few days. And one potential decision is 
how much time are we going to be, are Clara and I going to be spending with each other? One thing mm-hmm. that's emerged that I saw in the last couple of days is this real, this sort of clingy desperation. Mm-hmm. And so one narrative that I've, I've, I've said to her a number of times, even though I know it's not helpful, is, oh man, I so wish I'd just spent over these last three weeks where I'd basically been deciding to spend roughly half or less than half of our time together. I so wish I'd spent every possible moment with you because now that time is going to end. Now you're going to be seeing Rob and, and really beating myself up about it. Regret for me is one of the main manifestations of the OCD. It's, it's a refusal to accept reality. And I was really, really engaging in this heavy regret based on, Oh, I'd miss this chance to spend every possible moment with this woman. And as I gotten a little perspective over the last day, I'm like, wait, no, I, there was a reason I was choosing not to spend every possible moment with her. Right. How I bring this up now because you needed some, some of the logistics, right. And some of the logistics though, going forward, when I talk to Clara again, which will be today or tomorrow, I have to make a decision as to how I see things, how, how, my sense of how much time I want to spend with her in the coming weeks, basically, because we could rent a place together in a fairly remote location, or I could get a place closer to where she lives and we could go back and forth. It's, or I could say, it's not a totally, how can I put this? Even if I get a place that's a few hours away, we could still, she could still choose to go back and forth. So it's not like these are locked in, you know, cast and iron decisions, but mm-hmm. I do want, there is some sense uh, on my part of wanting to get some clarity over how do I feel I want to approach this in the coming weeks now that things are opening up. Having said that, my overall overriding concern is this thing I've seen, this desperation, this horrific insecurity. It's going to make, I, I don't know. I mean, on on one hand, I feel a lot better about things after I, I actually did a small dose of mushrooms last night, which was quite helpful. And I feel like, yeah, everything is fine, you know. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I feel like this thing in me, this, this desperate, ravenous insecurity is going to devour this relationship, is going to devour the good things. If I'm in this heightened, sensitized state where literally she looks away from me while we're having a conversation and I feel like, oh, oh God, oh no, no, she she doesn't like me enough, this isn't going to work, it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy, essentially. she's I'm going to drive her away with that. And, yeah, and it's, I, it's so deep and it's so strong. And I feel like there must be some deep trauma I have on earth that's, that's at, at, at the root of this. And basically what I'm saying, Jordan, is on this episode, you need to fix me. Otherwise, I feel like whether I live with her, whether I live apart from her, every other circumstance is, is almost irrelevant as, as long as I keep getting triggered into this state of incredible sensitivity and look and looking so hard for reasons why she doesn't like me enough and why she's going to hurt me and therefore why I should run away right now and slam the door. Yeah. Let me check my watch, see if there's time to <laughs> fix all of your problems. Mm, you know what? Uh, I have a, I got a meeting. I don't think we're going to do it today. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> is bullshit does anyone else want to be my fake therapist in a podcast uh a colleague of mine has been listening and she'll sometimes text me a little uh her thoughts and stuff i'll see if she i'll see if she wants to get a second opinion i'll see if she wants to get called up to the big leagues and stand in (laughs) 
I've had it with this guy. Um, no, I mean, I want to invite us to do an exposure with that desire, with that feeling that, oh, there's this thing that's coming up in me that is, I have to get rid of this right now or I'm going to ruin everything and toxify every relationship I'm ever in, you know. The way to address that is not by treating it like a five alarm fire that needs to be mm. extracted and and extinguished. The way to address it is with curiosity and patience. I yeah. um, you know, th- there's different ways of sort of and drugs and drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Medicine, if sorry, medicine. One, <laughs> <laughs> Curiosity, openness, and large doses yeah. of psilocybin. Yeah, if there's uh, one thing that I want to be on the record as saying as a licensed medical doctor, <laughs> it's the Armstrong's you don't do enough illegal drugs. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, if like that's if there's ever a courtroom transcript of that, I hope that like can they include the laughter? To, like, Your Honor, it was a joke. I'll have to get like expert testimony from from like expert like forensic comedians. Like mm, you'll see the intonation, and there was a an, a clear up thong, or dip thong. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, the, the, the doctor clearly meant that as a joke. Um, no, but so think about I, a way I often like to take this up with patients is like, as you and I have talked about, these big feelings that are coming up are emanations from the wounded child who lives inside you. And I, I often find it very helpful to personify that, you know, that child. And I think um, MDMA is a uniquely... Um, a uniquely beautiful medicine for this. I think, you know, when people take MDMA, they tend to just go to a place of being able to sort of lay out the cast of characters in their mind and find this wounded inner child. So who knows how old he is in you? Maybe this is a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, whatever. But imagine that this is an actual person and it's like, one of your nieces or nephews you know you have such a beautiful relationship with your nephews and if you had a scared four-year-old nephew and he came to you with these big worries that he's he's afraid he's going to ruin everything and too temperamental whatever Mm -hmm. it's like you would never address him you would never go oh my god this is a disaster we need to fix this right away or you're fucked you'd you'd say (laughs) oh wow tell me about that let's see let's talk about it you know you'd get buy him an ice cream and Mm. feel empathic and patient and solicitous toward toward this small child and we have to take that same view with ourselves we do ourselves when something when a when a fearful part of us comes up and we say oh i hate that i want it to go away we just scare it back into the shadows and it keeps messing with us from the shadows and we don't heal it until we, until we come with this patience and compassion. I, that's super hard to do. I, f- I fall into this trap all of the time where I'm like, I find myself. And you can also do this, this thing where you wind up. It's like I've learned this language so many times of uh, this uh, mindful, compassionate approach to my own inner 
demons or wounded parts that you can try to weaponize it. It's like this pain will come up and I'll be like, I'll like weaponize this compassionate stance. (laughs) Oh, you like, Oh, I'm so sorry. But secretly it's like, I'm trying to like compassionate to death so that it'll disappear and go away forever. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't work. It knows, it knows that shit. It sees the dagger hiding behind your back. Um, Joseph Goldstein. Come in for a hug and then. Yeah. <laughs> die, die. It's like, no, it's too smart for that. Um, Joseph Goldstein, I think it was. I think that's the, I think that's his name. I heard it at a retreat talk about once. Like, you know, he had this anger that he really didn't like. And it wasn't until one day he was on a walk and he just, it came up and he just said to himself, you know what? If this is here for the rest of my life and it doesn't change, that's fine. And, you know, it wasn't until he said that, that some softening started to happen. Yeah. Uh, And so basically what you're saying is you can't fix me on this episode. It's going to take patience. <laughs> I'm saying come subscribe, out and say it, man. subscribe, feel- <laughs> subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> we don't have yet, but do subscribe to this podcast. But no, I. But what you are saying though, also, so there's two, there's two sort of assumptions embedded there that I wanna, I wanna pull out. One, which yes, of course, I, I agree with, is that. I mean, I agree with it intellectually. You know, in, in my, <laughs> a big part of me wants to doesn't want it to be this way that acceptance and curiosity is the orientation that ultimately leads to change but if you if you're if you're assuming that orientation because you solely for the purpose of affecting change then it's kind of you're not going to get it it's like i'll accept this (laughs) if you say i'll accept this so it goes away well then that's not acceptance acceptance is unconditional so i get that i agree with that the other assumption though is that let's talking specifically about this what do we want to call it this deep wound i have that acceptance will transmute that or i guess will is too strong can because i got to be honest man this feels so deep and so it's like i get taken over and yeah. this is the thing is clara saw an adam who i mean this is so not like me at one point at my peak insecurity she picked up her phone for a second and turned it on and I said what are you doing like who who are you looking to be you know is someone texting you and she was like whoa it freaked her out and it freaked me out too yeah I mean I don't we got some so it feels like some stuff to look at yeah it's hard to I guess what I'm saying is it's so strong and it takes over so completely, not a hundred percent. I will give myself or the work I've done a little bit of credit because there was an awareness as this was happening. It was kind of like, well, I've likened this whole relationship to a psychedelic trip and that it's this continual process of letting go and surrendering. But it's also like a psychedelic trip in the sense that there are, there, there are these moments, there are these times where it feels like it fe- there's an awareness I have enough psychedelic experience under my belt now that even when I'm having a quote unquote bad trip, a challenging experience, there's still a little bit of awareness that, okay, I took a drug. This is a time limited thing that's happening right now. It feels really real and maybe it is real, but I don't have to just kind of ride this out. So there was this awareness with Clara, like, wow, these emotions feel so overwhelming, but, um, this isn't, this isn't, 
it's sort of like you've taken a drug here. Something has taken over you. There's there's something in your system that is operating right now that is overriding everything else. And yeah, I'm just I'm afraid that um, this is this whole relationship has been. I mean, I feel like I've grown so much through it. But my fear is that I may now be reaching this point where, yeah, I just have too much work to do. Kind of like a ship, you know, when a when a boat needs to be needs heavy repairs, you're not doing those repairs while the boat is steaming along in the open Atlantic. You're bringing it into dry dock. You're you're taking it out of commission, and yeah, I I this just feels so strong that I'm like, can I actually change this while being in this intense relationship with yeah. this woman? And I guess we'll I mean, find out. Sometimes that you're taking it into dry dock, but there's like to continue the ship metaphor, the most dangerous place to be in a ship in a storm is kind of hanging out around the shore or like trying to get away from the shore. Because mm, right, then you're gonna right. get smashed into the rocks. The safest place to the safest thing to do is head for deep water. You know? Yeah. So there's like a that. way in which you're on this ride. And perhaps um, equivocating between being on, getting off, being on, getting off. I've definitely had that happen in in relationships where I make everything harder because I'm constantly one foot in, one foot out. Not I'm not really saying you're doing that, but just there yeah. is an argument for it being safer out in the deeper water. It's being safer to repair the mast as you go rather than try to pull back into shore and deal with the well rocks. and i don't think we can pull, yeah and even so i i guess i i'm not thinking of pulling back into shore i suppose in this metaphor that would be me saying to her hey i just have too much work to do on my own let's not see each other yeah. for a few months because i do right. love her and i and i want to be with her but i yeah it just i think and this one is the thing, big game that so, you earned your that you earned your role in it's like this we can all we, we yeah we were talking about this you can look at this as the culmination in some ways of all the work you've done on yourself it's like oh good i got a treat for you more fear and <laughs> yeah more vulnerability like climbing further up the mountain of your own opening and development and you know you were at by, by being, being willing, willing to be in to this be in relationship this. Yeah. where in the past i haven't been able to to have and this so the higher you go the harder the wind starts to blow and of course there's a yeah of course there is a strong voice inside that says no i don't like this turn back and go back down but there is also a voice in you i think that says no like you know what you're doing keep going you're here for a reason for sure and i'm not seriously considering ending it in this moment when i feel relatively yeah. sane but it really uh, this sane insane dichotomy is not is not too far yeah. amiss here where it feels like i just get into this delusional state of i mean god it's like i thought of this yesterday it's almost like in these moments clara is this terrifying these deep dark woods at night on a mm -hmm. full moon in transylvania <laughs> and any <laughs> and any twig i hear crunching off in the distance i immediately my my pulse skyrockets it's yeah. like any little thing she does i'm so sensitive and it's just so hard i mean this is the thing is so she has her own challenges with depression and especially premenstrual dysphoric disorder and that can make things somewhat challenging when she's in a dark place and it's hard yeah. for me to reach her but at least her dark places don't immediately they're not about me 
it's not like, I feel like I'm putting a lot of this on her when I get into this, this state. And so I think one thing is yes, learning over time to appreciate and work with this wounded child and, and allowing making space for it to shift or me to, to sit with it in a different way, leading to hopefully some sort of long-term healing is, is crucial, but also in the short term, maybe some, maybe even some pragmatic strategies of like, I, I don't know, sort of the same way maybe how she'll say, she'll call it a black hole. She's in her black hole. And when she says that, I know, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take things personally if she's distanced. Maybe there's something I say where I'm, I'm in my, you know, I'm in whatever my equivalent state is. And it's almost like she'll talk about it when she's in that state. She can't really trust mm-hmm. herself, what her mind mm-hmm. tells her. I don't know. I'm throwing a lot at you. No, no, and no. I know you're. Um, it's, uh, a lot of it's you know, very, it makes a lot of sense. And it, it, I can relate a lot. The it's, I don't even remember if we've used this metaphor together but the metaphor of a relationship of a woman as a deep dark forest is something that has a lot of resonance with my life and that's you know so something an image that has i I just want to clear cut it man i want to get rid of all the all the darkness and shadow and unknown of course i don't because then i would be bored i mean this is the thing is i really yeah i i think that um the archetypal symbols of the masculine and the feminine really offer a lot to the analysis here that that's how that's been very helpful for my own thinking on this i i think that the in many ways the feminine which you know were clara i think it's safe to say holds the the feminine pole in in this relationship not that you know that's not a, a gendered or, or a sex thing necessarily. I'm not sh- but yeah, mm. yeah d- just yeah. L- let me keep going with this for a sec. Okay, yeah, keep going. So, I I find and I think I think this is this is an archetype, right? So, an archetype being something that's not that that can feel very personal, a, a very a symbol that's, that is very like relatable and present in someone's mind and then but that also often has universal applications in in other people's lives and sort of in the in the collective consciousness so the arc the archetype of the feminine as sort of a mysterious chaotic unbounded dark forest and that being scary to the masculine um to the masculine psyche which is you know typically thought of as as much more having to do with order chaos you know clear cutting (laughs) um sharp edges certainty control I just think that's super rich and that really sh- shows up in in my own psyche and has shown up literally in in these visionary archetypal symbols in psychedelic ceremonies like I have been yeah. in the medicine space and literally seen and, and and the psychedelic space in general can feel like that to me too um like yes yeah, this, the, yeah the flow the chaos in my mind it's much more the domain of the feminine and i am you know i'm a dude i i'm a doctor clearly um yeah i'm like i'm really good at standardized tests and f- like filling out the bubbles and there's a 
I'm certainly not like a hyper masculine guy in the sort of colloquial sense, but in this, um, more metaphysical sense, I'm, I'm very scared of the, yeah, the dissolution, the unknown, the dark forest of the plant medicine space, the dark forest of, of the deep feminine relationship territory. And I, I totally get that desire to just like clear cut it. But then, yeah, you said it, you hit it right on the head. Then life is dry and boring. It's like no one, like we don't actually want to clear cut the Amazon to plant a bunch of cattle, even though it makes economic sense. And like the masculine forces of, well, in some very <laughs> right. short term but limited. Like yeah. Yeah. All, all, right, right, all life, sure. <laughs> all beauty, all joy, all generativity comes from this deep, dark, scary place. And we, right. We don't want to replace it all with a, a, gr- yeah, a cement grid. Yeah. And yet it's scary. So I think that's kind of what we're dancing around here. Yeah. And I, to, I don't want to get too far afield here, but I, I think in some ways I feel like I'm more archetypally, archetypally feminine than Clara. She is. And I think that she, she does embody characteristics that I see in some ways as, as masculine, the, the strong willed real clarity. She's, you know, much less wishy washy than I am. But I think that's a bit of the main point certainly is that the unknown, whether or not we view Clara as a dark forest, the relationship being in relationship and intimate and vulnerable is very, very much a huge dark forest for me. And as I said earlier, I think there may be traits she has that make that forest seem a little more dark than it would with some other partners who might give me a little bit more verbal reassurance. And, but the overriding thing is that I, she can look at her phone and I immediately plummet into this dark forest and and I will say I've seen this in past relationships too, not nearly as heightened because I haven't had as much on the line. But and it does feel like yeah, it almost feels like a PTSD yeah. thing, like this just boom, just zero to to a thousand. So yeah, I think that's the main thing that we're taking up today because that's the thing that's troubling you the most today is you're recognizing this capacity to get super triggered and reactive and you're worried that that's going to sink the ship that you're gonna yeah knock all the monopoly pieces off the table and walk away yeah yeah or or that she'll take her board and be like yeah i don't this isn't this isn't what i want so and you know embedded in those assumptions is a fear that you have had for your whole life which is that your reactivity, the the power of your moods can destroy people and destroy relationships and is a huge problem with you, that it represents something wrong with you. That's This is not my conscious, for sure, that was a dynamic with my mother with these huge fights we'd get in when I was a kid. To me, the fear the big fear here seems simpler, which is simply the fear of loss. And it, it feels to me like I'm reacting so strongly because there's some part of me that feels inadequate, feels empty. And I'm terribly afraid that 
that this relationship that I'm, I value very highly that, um, I, I'm going to lose it. I, I'm not articulating this well. I sure what you're saying does track with some of my history, but isn't it? Maybe this isn't an either or. Simpler to say that. Oh, I'm just. I'm afraid. This is. I, I love this woman. I haven't loved anyone like this in a long time. So I'm really afraid of of losing her. I mean, the last time I had a really really deep romantic loss was 17 years ago, and out of that, I developed OCD. Yeah. Isn't it just simple fear, fear of pain that I'm freaking out to make sure, oh, shoot, am I going to be, is, am I, is this going to wind up hurting me? And my complete intolerance uh, of the uncertainty and the fear that comes with that is, is, is all that's going on here, or maybe not all, but a big part of it. Yeah, I think I'm following. I'm. I guess I'm saying instead of looking at it as like the, my my conscious awareness is not that my deep fear is that I'm going to break Clara or that I'm going to push people out of my life. My deep fear is simply that I'm going to lose things that I value, which of course <laughs> I am. That's similar. life. But I have this huge yeah. panic. No, I think, yeah, the fear that I don't know if we're trying to say the same thing. There's a fear that you're that your big moods, these big swings you're having will push her away. Will cause the um, relationship to end or, or cause you to push her away. Well, so that's, I guess what we're saying is you're kind of saying there's a fear of the fear, like the fear that I, I'm feeling a fear. And then my, I'm afraid that my fear is going to cause the end of the relationship. And I think that's true, but I, I'm feeling like the primary thing is not the fear of the fear but rather just the fear itself. Like, what's that fear about? Why is that yeah. terrible? That fear isn't coming up because I'm afraid of the, f you, this is getting very, very overdetermined here, but do you, do you see what sure. I'm saying? Yeah. It's sort of like, let's leave it alone. Like someone who's, who's let's afraid of, with the yeah. Because I, I, I think, I think you have a tendency and I definitely have a tendency too to go there with you to, to get swept up in the specifics and the particulars of uh, it's mm -hmm. oh no it's it's not that dynamic it's this one that's like 15 degrees off of that mm -hmm. sure but yeah i think when we zoom out we can see we can we can radically simplify things often it's just like tent like yeah things deepening in this relationship first serious relationship like to this level of seriousness in a long time, things deepening and intensifying, lots of very strong emotions, some of which are great, some of which are intense and scary and negative coming up, uh, difficulty following from that. <laughs> you know, in broad strokes. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and particularly this, this, this thing that comes up that is looking for reasons why I shouldn't, why I, I looking for evidence that she does not mm -hmm. care about me yeah. enough. And is that it's very specific because it's interesting because I don't question that she likes mm -hmm. me enough. She's in love with me. She says she's in love with me. I, I have no doubt about that. But it's more like, is she a caring enough person? Is she a sensitive enough person? And I'll get a little specific with this. Let's this this we may get into the weeds here, but I think this might be. So I was thinking about this yesterday under the influence of this mild dose of mushrooms, and I was like, does it like if she said to me, "Hey Adam, you know what? I don't want to be polyamorous. I'm leaving Rob. I just want to be in a monogamous relationship with you." I don't think I would be thrilled mm -hmm. about that. I, I 
I actually don't think that her having another lover is the root problem right now. I think my insecurity is glomming onto that, understandably. I think the root problem, I was thinking about this, I don't know if I should say root problem, but I think this insecurity is getting, it's getting pricked by a lot of other things. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. Uh, I injured my neck swimming. I went into the ocean at Stinson. I always, I I love going into the ocean and basically fighting with the waves, (laughs) like kind of body surfing, punching them, jumping at them. And you know what, sometimes the ocean (laughs) wins. Who knew that this, <laughs> and and I really, I, I got my ass kicked at Stinson. This was a couple of weeks ago. I really got tossed pretty hard. It was quite humbling and also uh, a bit of a warning sign that I need to be less reckless because people can get paralyzed that way. Came out, sort of a mild neck sprain. And she was very, you know, sweet and tender. Oh, what can I do for you? Which is not her normal orientation, uh, but also I'm usually not injured. But then she never asked about it again. She didn't ask the next day how your neck is doing. Mm -hmm. To be fair, she left the next day for four days. She went to her parents. But still, like, I feel like it it struck me that she just didn't once say, how's Mm -hmm. your neck doing? One example. Another example is I sent her a little script I'm working on for this creative Mm -hmm. project. This was like more than a week ago. And she's never read it. She's never commented Mm -hmm. on it. To be fair, I wasn't like, hey, I really want you to read this, but it just feels to me, and this is always dangerous territory, I think, when I say, I feel like I would do things differently, because that has sort of a judgment there, but it does feel to me like, yes, if she had been injured, I would ask the next day, hey, how's your neck? If she had sent me something, I would... I would want to read it. That's the thing. It wouldn't, I'd be like, oh, I want to see what her creative output is like, and, and let me see if I can help her. And so I think things like that... Honestly, I feel like those things are bothering me more than the fact that she is at this moment with another lover. I feel like if I had more general security in the relationship, the other lover thing wouldn't be a problem at all. So what if you talk to her about one of those, one or both of those things? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was, I was planning on talking to this, uh, talking to her about this and I was thinking about it last night on the mushrooms, I was like, all right, I want to use nonviolent communication. So I think I would say something like, you know, I, I sent this to you and you haven't looked at it. And it feels to me like that means probably you just, you don't particularly want to look at it and that's okay. But I just want to be clear on that because to me, this is important information to have because one question I've been sitting with is she uses the term partnership, her and I are partners, Mm -hmm. but I've been thinking recently what does that mean? What are our commitments and obligations to each other? Is this the sort of thing where we're going to actually give each other not just our time, but also energy? I may put in energy in helping her with her creative or professional endeavors. And I realized I'm very down for that, actually. I like that idea. But so having a conversation around that and understanding that, yeah, what does she want to give to this relationship? And what do I want to give to this relationship? But I'll throw one other thing that's interesting. So I was having these thoughts last night if I want to present it in this nonviolent way. And then I had a thought. I was like, oh, but what if she does respond to the email with the script, like, say, today? 
And I realized I wanted her not to do that so that I could have this conversation. It was still at a level I wanted to feel like she had done something quote unquote wrong or not loving or caring enough. And that's the dynamic that scares the shit out of me, Jordan. If this part of me is strongly looking for reasons why she's not adequately caring. Well, that's just, I could that's just see a, yeah. clearly uh, an amount of time elapsed between you sending her the script and her you know, not acknowledging it or saying she was going to read it that you, you felt some, you felt something. And even if, and it's uh, emblematic of a concern that you've been feeling in other instances in the relationship and you wanted to use it as a vehicle to talk about those broader concerns with her. So I get that. I get right. that, that she may respond and that still doesn't take away the fact that you wanted to have this somewhat broader conversation with her. So yeah, yeah the whole, I hear what you're saying when you say, am I just looking to feel aggrieved? Is that, is there something wrong with me? Eh. Maybe, but I think that you, yeah, yeah I think right. you, yeah. little things are popping up here or there and you're wanting to. Back to the sensitivity. Yeah. Maybe I do have, I just, I, I. Yeah. Sure. But again, that's I've, placing the onus on you. I mean, clearly you're a, a very sensitive guy, um, but that may not be anything wrong. It's not. You know, you you just need to check in. You need to be checking in with her and figuring out if your needs are getting met in the relationship. If you're a good right f- fit for each other in the in the ways that you're needing, and it's possible that you're not, and there's nothing wrong with you, and there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. her. It's just possible that you're not the right fit, or that you're in different places in your life. You're looking for different things right now. Whatever. Um, yeah. I also wanted to highlight that the way you described taking that up with her, I don't think was totally nonviolent communication. Can, can you uh can you elaborate so you did a thing you used the word feel where the word think would have been appropriate and that is means it's not a feeling to say like you didn't write back to the you didn't respond to my writing yet and i feel that that make that that means you don't care about me you could you, or no, sorry. Yeah, I feel like that means you probably d- yeah, didn't that's want not to. A, like that's she's a, had it's a quarantine. Yeah. She's busy, that's but she has feel. time. Yeah, just because of the just because that's, the, what I that's think. my that's think. my yeah. mind is coming if up. If you with. can, if you can change, ah, the, if you yeah. can interchange the words feel and think, it's not a feeling. Feel it's a feeling if it's something <sighs> like, and I feel hurt, or I feel scared. Right, because right. you can't say I think hurt or I I think scared. Um, so I think. Th- so coach could you might say yeah i was just gonna say please yeah, yeah. you didn't respond to that and i felt kind of hurt because i've yeah it, it, it was really vulnerable it felt like a vulnerable thing to share that with you and i'm needing a little more reassurance right now or i'm needing a little more contact with you um whatever i don't I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, you need, whatever but you're it is. Some, you feel a way, you feel hurt, scared, whatever, because you have X, Y, or Z need, and it's not being. Yeah, and it would be nice if she could meet it. That's sort of my understanding of a basic outline of nonviolent communication. 
it's tr- it's a little tricky because one thing I'm questioning is to what extent this is a broad question to what extent are is what I think I need coming from my heart which I think has to be honored versus my head trying to get some sort of OCD level of ultimate reassurance so in this particular example um I almost feel like what I actually need my head tells me I need a lot more reassurance and maybe I do but I think the one thing I can say confidently I do need is simply clarity mm-hmm. like what is she there's nothing wrong with her not responding reading my script and giving me her thoughts but my assumption was that she would do that and that she would want to do it because I feel like I would want to do it. And if it turns out that she actually doesn't, I don't know if that's a deal breaker, but it's information I want because I will titrate my own level of commitment and involvement and support for her. Does that make sense? I mean, it seems a little bit cold and clinical, but basically I don't want to be, this is the conversation I think we need to have about partnership, her and I, which is, yeah, what does it mean? What are our commitments to each other? is it simply that we're going to be loving one in each other's presence or is it, hey, I'll, I'll help you with your taxes? <laughs> it's a bad example. Yeah, but I think one, of the, <laughs> I I think one thing be, that's but, been hard for you in this relationship is that there has been some inconsistency, at least mm-hmm. perceived on your part. And I think that, that that comes through to me too. Coming, coming from, from her, her you mean. Some of the yeah. really effusive demonstrations of her love and affection for you and then maybe some moments where you're feeling a conspicuous absence of that and i could see that being hard both ways for me yeah for me the effusive stuff would be would feel kind of overwhelming and then the yeah then the uh then the absence stuff i could i you know yeah i don't want to throw stones at her because I don't you know I'm hearing it all through through your mouth right but that's my impression is that there has been a yeah maybe there's been a little of um, inconsistency a little hot and cold ah, that's a problematic term but you know what I mean I think yeah yeah I look at it mostly as she does get depressed. She gets into these black hole moods. I've talked about it before, how she's one of the many things I really admire about her is how good she is at managing her moods. And she has these tools she uses and she's very, very good at disciplining herself and to get out of them. But when she's in them, yeah, she's going to not be particularly demonstrative or or effusive. and I and I feel like I've generally done a good job of being like, oh, Clara's she's going through a dark time right now. It'll probably pass in a few hours, so I'm just gonna go do my own thing. But but yeah, maybe there is some. Even though intellectually I realize that maybe there is something there, but there also is something. I, I've said this many times in the past, and it's hard for me to put it into words. But she, she's not a gentle, soft person. She can be, but she's. Yeah, something about her strength, her uncompromising nature that can feel maybe as part of this making me feel less than yeah comfortable. Again, I just I don't know. I want to be reorienting us to how can we be 
how can we be in the laboratory learning more about you through all of this? Because ultimately, we don't know what's going to happen with Clara. And ultimately, yeah, yeah. it's a it's an early relationship, and there needs to be more communication to just figure these things out. But what I'm certain of is that this is grade A prime <laughs> grist for the mill, you know, of of, yeah. of learning more and more about how you work, and that's what we so we that's what the listeners are hungry for. That's what all the advertiser advertising well, dollars are pouring in, pouring right. in the front door for. This episode so brought we, to you by. So our we know this. Th- <laughs> As all of our episodes. No, we are fully self. We know this thing. <laughs> this is true, Mom. I'm a doctor now. <laughs> Mom, I'm driving a tow to Yaris now. Yaris, Yaris. Um, but so okay, so this thing comes in. This thing takes takes me over yeah. at times. And part of the part of what I feel like I've done a good job doing up until now is when these insecurities pop in momentarily, checking in with myself, seeing that it generally has it's it's my thing, not her thing, and letting it go. Sometimes talking about her, talking about it with her. And I will say one of the encouraging things is every time we have a conversation about a relationship, what seems like it's going to be a really difficult conversation, we always come out much, much closer and, and deepening the relationship. So, so those are the sort of tools I've used to date, but now it feels like whether it's a function of the fact that she's reuniting with Rob, whether it's a function of as time has proceeded, her and I have gotten closer and closer, but this thing is, is rearing its head much more aggressively now. And so I can, so sure, it's all well and good to say, yeah, be curious about this thing, be curious about this deep wound. But when it's flaring up and I'm with her and it's making me do things like saying, why'd you just pick up your phone? Like being suspicious, jealous, yeah. clingy, desperate, insecure. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. What do I do? I'd love to say, okay, I'm going to sit right. in a, I'm going to sit in a Lotus posture and just watch this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I mean, I hear you. I, um, it's so hard in those moments when you're just like, oh, disgusted. Just this, with yourself, just this, you feel like you want to puke. Just this bile coming out of Terrified you. is really the terrified. biggest, It's a te- for me it's just yeah. terrified. Terrified, this frightened, frightened little, it, it, b- pathetic, and I don't mean that in a judgment way, yeah. I mean like, you know, unable to care or protect itself being yeah. that, that, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, my, my rock bottom, I feel like, and this was, I was once in a relationship and um, a great personal tragedy befell the woman I was with, uh, someone, mm. something bad happened to someone close to her. And I remember, you know, the relationship was in a hard place. I was in a hard place, whatever. Um, and I remember feeling really judgmental about the way that she was like grieving this personal tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one night where I just like took a look. I think I like went to the bathroom and took a look in the mirror and I was just like, this is fucked up. Like this is 
I, I hated myself. I hated the situation. I felt like I needed to get out of the situation. It was just like, man, like, look what's happening. You, like, the only thing you should be doing right now is being here for this person that you love. And yet you're consumed with these ugly thoughts of like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have grieved that way. <laughs> I wouldn't have, uh, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> that's, that's a tacky, tacky way to grieve. Yeah. yeah. Wailing oh, and throwing yourself in the coffin. A that's little, a little played yeah, out. Come on. Let's, do, so let's go with something a little classier. <laughs> oh, and I was just like, oh my God, this feels awful. Like this is ugly. I just felt like such a monster. So that's just to say that. I don't know. It sucks. It sucks, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm back to feeling like, and I feel like this whole episode is, I don't know how good this episode will be, though I always feel that way because I am in a bit of a state of needing to figure out, and I think maybe that leads me to over-explaining things, but I'm just, I kind of feel like, yeah, what it, there, there, there is, sure, it's not a five-alarm fire. Looking at it, this is a five-alarm fire is not going to, is not going to be useful, and yet... This is an imminent situation. She's yeah. coming back so, in a day. You know, my purpose my purpose in sharing that story is also partly to convey that like these things can be tolerated and metabolized and part of the way that happens is we come together and we talk about it. You know, like you Yeah. You go back out there on the playing field and you get the shit kicked out of you in this next you know this next game and then you come back and we talk about it and it's like and we deal with it because it's all because it's something that's eminently containable you know this ah uh, that's i appreciate your confidence in that but i don't know well if it's i mean the relationship or, might end i don't know if it's containable but that's right we can deal with that so then what's containable this the world a, this is a, the world emotional is thing end. i don't know yeah, I guess I'm not sure what you yeah. mean by containable. I mean, I, I hope this is containable, but it's, it, yeah, I, I've, I've not seen evidence of that. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, there's tactics, and we can talk tactics, and you know mm -hmm. tactics. Prayer, meditation, not with, take yeah, a break, okay, go yeah, for a sure. walk, intense exercise, journaling, call a friend, you know stuff like that do a fake therapy, do a fake podcast. therapy podcast do some light cutting <laughs> just, some, just the first two layers of your epidermis not that's healthy you know which is a, which is a tactic for managing distress that that people use it needs needs to be understood that way right i i, I bring that in <laughs> to be darkly funny but also to, to make a point about that that's what these things so when people do things that seem wildly maladaptive, wildly unhelpful, ultimately they are tactics to manage overwhelming distress and overwhelming feelings. So we can always work on building more things like that in with you. But yeah, I think a, a prime coping strategy that I want our work here to be about is building the capacity to talk about it, think about it, understand where it's coming from. And I think the more that we do that together, the more it the more it will be downloaded into your own 
the more you'll start doing it on your own. That's definitely a premise of this kind of yeah, not not therapy for sure. <laughs> and I think in the very short term, I I feel like when she comes back, the conversation I want to have is this nonviolent yeah. communication conversation about the script about my neck, yeah, and and saying it would have been really nice mm, if she'd asked you about your neck the following four days and so what is what am i looking for there what am i like uh, i mean i I, i'm not looking for her to say oh i'm sorry i feel like and i feel like there's a danger of she feels like oh i'm being kind of accused of something you can't right i think you can't fault someone i think what she's i think what you're looking for is for her to just be able to receive that and not throw it back at you. I think that's all you you'll probably need. Uh, similar to what happened with yeah, us last maybe. time with it just, the car. It, it's like, and talking about the emails and how the emails were hard for me. Sometimes I didn't actually need you to change anything to stop doing this or that. I just needed to, f- I just needed to be seen and having, in sharing uh, an emotion or a belief or a need that I felt could hurt you. I was afraid that telling you about the emails, you might get defensive or it might really hurt your feelings or something. Mm-hmm. And then, and that, that, that would lead to a distance being put between us. And all I really needed was for you to see that and tolerate it and not, think I was a jerk or not collapse. And I think a similar thing might be going on with her. I don't think I'm going to get, I don't think that's going to happen though. Cause I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I think she'll be understanding, but I think it's like if someone isn't considerate, it sounds like a judgmental term, but I'll use it. If someone isn't considerate in that way, I don't think pointing it out. Like, I don't know if it's a great, analogy with with you know me sending you these upset emails because it was i had to hear it's hard for me to articulate but it feels like it's not really apples to apples with what's going on now with clara because with her if i say hey it just it 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 hurt that you didn't ask me about my neck if she's not considered in that way what am i yeah i I don't i don't see anything positive i i see it as quite different from the emails I, I can't articulate why, but I don't see it as being similar because if she's not considered in that way, really what I'm saying is you should be more considerate or I want you to be more considerate. It's not like, like what is going to happen now? She's going to be constantly thinking to herself, okay, let's see. All right, Adam mentioned that his left foot hurt the other day. Let me set a calendar reminder to ask him about it in two days. If it's if she's not programmed that way or if she's not in that space for herself or maybe because she's much younger, yeah, I don't. Well, I think you're trying I, I don't see anything positive. I, I feel like that's, I feel like for me, for her, that the neck thing is sort of take it or leave it. This is the way she is. She's not choosing to be well, this then way. Well, that's important information. And I think the process of deepening a relationship is these points of friction and difference come up and it's a negotiation and you figure out what you need, what can change, where the other person can accommodate you, where the other person can't accommodate you. And what's a deal breaker and what's not a deal breaker? Maybe you need to talk about this. And she, yeah, and she I actually. Says, 
no that's just yeah. me take it or leave it but just the process of having that conversation clarifies something you realize oh, okay i don't actually need that or maybe you realize that she's inflexible in a certain way that you need her to be flexible or you're not compatible in a certain way and that, that but that's the thing is this it's yeah not gonna work yeah, out maybe if it was a flexibility thing i have a lot of confidence in, in our ability to work with each other but it, to me, it doesn't feel like a flexibility thing. This, the neck thing feels like just more of an innate. This is her level of awareness about what's going on and concern about other people or specifically about me. And I don't see. Maybe. I don't think it's saying you. So yeah. That might be true. The, yeah. And so I think what may come out of this may ultimately be. And this is the way I've looked at it before with other things like this is it's sort of like, okay, I see this this impulse to feel aggrieved because she's not showing a level of consideration that I wish she'd show. But now let me look at myself and realize, well, this reflects something about me, my own insecurity. And again, it's not that I don't question that she loves me. It's more the specific, this consideration or care thing. And so I, in the past I've gotten to the point where I'm like, Oh, okay. I can just kind of accept and love her that this is the way she is and I'm okay with it. I, I don't know. I, yeah. yeah, I think you're needing to have some more communication with her around this. Or I don't Maybe I'm projecting that onto you that I think you need yeah. to talk about it. Maybe you don't. Yeah, no, no. I, that's been coming up in our conversation. Today. I think I, you're, you're needing to have yeah. some more communication with her around this to sort of figure it out, flesh out this question around her yeah. consideration and care. And you will get information from that conversation. And you know, then it's on you and it's on us to figure out what you're going to do with that. Uh, you know what? This is what it is. I've, I've been talking, I've been ram rambling all over the place, but I think this is what the core thing that's coming up for me right now is Jordan is I'm afraid that even having that conversation is itself a manifestation of this impulse I have to, to push her away or to find reasons like just even having it in some way. I can't, I yeah, hear I can't that. articulate no, I, any more I hear than that. that. That that the very act of bringing it up is itself a form of violent as opposed to nonviolent communication. Implicit in it is an accusation that you should be more considerate. And I don't know how to bring it up without that accusation being implicit. <laughs> you don't you don't make it an accusation. You I mean you you are so you're saying I shouldn't bust out my PowerPoint with, with, with examples and graphs? This is the number of times plotted over days where you've said, how there are you? 17 opportunities. As you for can you see, to, there's a clear 17 trend. 17 opportunities for you to check in with me about my neck in the, in the subsequent three days after that. You now have two minutes to offer rebuttal starting now. Listen, I come back to this over and over we do you no favors when we try to negate the validity of your emotional responses to things. When we try to <laughs> say you shouldn't, this whole, I'm, I want to talk to her about this because it's some elaborate unconscious mechanism to push her away. That doesn't, that, hmm that's not really landing with a lot of truth for me. I think okay. that you were, you were, you, there are times where you're feeling a little, you know, maybe not quite supportive 
supported enough or you're feeling a little and you know that's not to comment on the rightness or wrongness or whatever it may just be that they're there they are there she said something and yeah it sounds like you can learn something from her like i I heard was hearing you say earlier she's really good at attending to her to her feelings and i hear you trying to in some ways bulldoze your own emotional responses because it's hard this is the this is what's so challenging about this is it's hard for me to know this way i conceive of it of what's coming from my heart and what's coming from my head and specifically that part of let's call it the ocd part of my head this this part that wants to find a way to protect me by keeping me alone i think that having these conversations with her is how you are developing that capacity to figure out what to listen to what's real what's not real you're putting yourself Mm. out into the world and you can say it vulnerably you could say this to her like listen i'm not sure if this is something that i should keep to myself or that i should share with you it i feel like maybe this isn't fair to put on you but i just i needed to talk to you about this because i was feeling kind of distant keeping it to myself um it's probably a small thing please tell me if you think i'm blowing it out of proportion i don't want to be accusatory i just needed to share with you like when you didn't ask me about my neck i felt a little let down Hmm. yeah i like that i like setting it up that way and as you're talking jordan i realize maybe what the big fear is actually is actually that by talking about this, we do realize there's some deeper incompatibility. Yeah. She she said early on when we've talked about this before, but so she when she was going to come back to stay with me after she'd left the first quarantine visit and we had this conversation where I kind of went through my narrative of what had happened on that first visit. And I thought a non accusatory way, but I think she felt somewhat accused. And when she, we talked again, she said you know, maybe our love languages are just yeah. different. And and so I think that's what's coming up is we may have this conversation because and it, it may be that, yeah, you know what, this is just she doesn't give she expresses love in physical touch in in a lot of ways, but it, it she may not have the capacity to to give me what I'm looking for here, which then brings up, okay, is this a deal breaker or not? And I don't have to decide that now but that may be the fears that that fear sounds true to me and that's the one that i think is very old (sighs) is the fear that your needs are too much for the women in your life yeah i'm tearing up right now the advertisers are gonna love this (laughs) no i don't want to go into a joke yeah, I'm afraid that I'm yeah. afraid. I think I'm afraid that if I really talk about what I, I don't want to say need because that seems non-negotiable. Yeah, but not. what I, what it feels like would support me, that I'm afraid in this particular capacity that she but may again, not don't, be able. Or I don't even to give think you know me. what would support you or what you need. I just the, all you know, I think, is that that didn't feel good. But this just brings me back to this part that feels fucking broken, yeah. man. It feels like, I mean, I've done, you know, I, I thought for a, the first time I went into a mental hospital and it was doing group therapy and everyone in group, not everyone, but most people would talk about how some horrific story of 
usually sexual, but some sort of abuse, usually at the hands of a family member. And for me, one of the mysteries has always been why kind of why am I so fucked up? I don't think I'm that fucked up, but why why do I struggle this way given that um, that there's no obvious trauma? And so I thought, all right, maybe something really terrible happened that I've repressed. And I even asked my mom about it and she reacted with Frank just surprised, like, no, nothing, I don't think so. And and then when I got into psychedelics, I was like, okay, now I'm going to, I've had specific trips where I was like, okay, all right, I know there's something terrible in my past that I don't want to see and I'm scared, but you know what, just, all right, ayahuasca, just show it to me. Okay, mushrooms, just show it to me and there's nothing yeah. there. Or I haven't, but but when I, when I feel, when I'm operating at this level of these, terrific fears coming in it does feel like something there must be some source for this this deep feeling of i'm not enough or i'm not going to get what i need or yeah and it would almost be easier if there was a some horrific trauma to put a finger on this comes back to what we were saying at the beginning this Freudian idea of you you see the you see the deep dark thing you you finally get it over with and now you're okay yeah yeah, it would be nice if there was something to uncover and poof. And I think maybe I say this to her too, is that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where this, because clearly a part of this has to do with her and the specifics of the relationship, but it yeah. does feel like the bigger part is this thing is going to, I believe it will, yes, maybe there are partners who might give me more of what I want slash need in some capacities, but I think that this thing is so strong and so easily triggered, this fear, this wound, that it's going to come up whenever there's deep intimacy and vulnerability. Mm. And that can make me feel a little bit yeah. doomed. Yeah. That's a hard way to feel. And now a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Do you suffer from debilitating terror that you're not enough? Try ayahuasca. Perfect setup. Or mushrooms. Uh, yeah, man. I pushed everyone who loved me away until I drank 200 milliliters in the jungles of Peru. Oh, corporate ayahuasca. <laughs> yeah man you're doing good work that's all I can say right now you're digging it up and yeah. you're looking at it and it's not pretty and it's not easy but think about how yeah. many millions and millions and millions of people there are walking around with deep dark <laughs> horrible shit inside that they are so far away from even being able to take a peek at you know it's still this mystery though it feels like this black yeah. box that's the thing is i feel like i have so much self-awareness about my patterns and my defenses well, that's but the thing it's not about it's not but just this about core the, it's thing not just about yeah. what you know it's yeah. not just about intellectual knowing of your patterns and your stuff It's also just about kind of getting repetitions um, in the uh, mm -hmm. in the training grounds of unearthing that deep, dark, painful shit and feeling it and 
trying to bring that presence and awareness, even when it feels impossible, when you're just tied to the mast and the winds are blowing, you're like, I'm not doing this gracefully at all. You know, it's not, yeah, it's not about like lotus position. Ah, just non-reactivity. It's about feeling those winds howling and just bit by bit over time, learning to trust yourself more and more that you can handle it. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I, I, I guess to wrap up, I think, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of having these conversations with her with the very open, vulnerable preface of even bringing this up. I don't even know if this is the right thing, but it, this is what's going on. And I also think, you know, one thing to say to to call it an elephant in the room is we have been in a very very intense circumstances, sure. and as I related earlier, part of me was feeling this real clinging of oh god, now I'm not going to be able to spend all, as much time with her as I want. But the elephant in the room is, yeah, maybe these very intense circumstances, as much as they've been beautiful at times, getting real deep and close quickly. I think it's not a bad thing for us to maybe take a step back into a less intense form of you know, maybe spending a little bit less time yeah. together, maybe less of less living yeah. together. And cause when I don't feel like I'm in this incredibly vulnerable, wounded, broken place, I feel like, yeah, things are, this isn't life or death. There's all sorts of ways this relationship can unfold. Yeah. We can, it's not like, Oh, we got to power through this. No. We got to power through yeah. this and get to this. It, it, it can very well be, Hey, Instead of, uh, you know, let's, let's just take a little bit of a break and see how that lands and, and see how we feel. I think there's a lot of ways to navigate this and, and also, but yes, it also is the, the frank awareness of this may not be navigable, whether it's today, tomorrow, six months, a year from now that there may come a point where it's, um, yeah, what, there's just some yeah. fundamental incompatibility despite all of the really wonderful things about yeah, I her. Think that's a good place to end because I think we see there that in facing the thing that's hardest to face, you then, these other paths and potentialities start to open up that you weren't aware of. I think when we started recording, it's like, oh no, maybe it need, maybe it, un- it goes like this, maybe it unfolds like this. It's like, it's not until you really sit in that fire in that storm that that like the clouds part, and you see that there's another path over to the side that you couldn't think your way to. Yeah, right. And I th- I think part of that is when I get into this this broken place, there's a feeling of the stakes and urgency and desperation yeah. are, are so yeah. high. Yeah. It's like fight yeah. or flight. You know, you, you don't, you don't see all these yeah. other options. You're, you're the cortisol is pumping and it's just, oh 100%. man. Well, yeah. Well, thanks for this. I, I really appreciate yeah, it. And yeah, cool. Well, um, love you. Love you too. Man. Keep on going. Right. Talk soon. Thanks. Yeah.